All right, everybody, welcome back into the Stewcast. And today we got a special episode because it's always special when you get somebody on this show that comes in with hot takes. And this guy is he's not he's not new to a hot take. You can catch him at Darko State News on your Twitter machine. Hit the Googles up, go give him a follow. And coming back up the Spiro Avenue show, returning to the program. My friend, Justin Spiro, Justin, congrats on UNC degree. Congrats on uh, success over the summer, you know, while you're renovating the, uh, the studio and, and still, you know, maintaining that uh, viral hatred from Michigan fans. That's, that's excellent work. Uh, I got to tell you, first of all, thanks for having me back because my studio is a pile of dust. I have to try to sneak on other people's programs so I can still (laughs) hear myself talk at least a little bit. So I do appreciate the hospitality. I got to say, you know, the Michigan thing, they've actually been pretty calm on me lately. I haven't gotten necessarily a whole lot of hate this week for my Tigers take specifically surrounding Miguel Cabrera. And we'll talk about them later. But I, I got to say, I'm doing record low engagement with my, my tweets today. Normally, I could tweet the time of day, just the time on the clock, and I get at least three or four. I, I, I'm getting no support for my Miguel Cabrera position, so I can't wait to dive into that. But I know we're starting elsewhere tonight. I'm excited. As always, you have a good program going here and a couple of good topics I'm looking forward to hitting, so I appreciate it. Yeah, and, and you're a great guy to hit this topic with when it first came out, first person that came to mind. Uh, USC, UCLA, we talked a little bit last week with our uh, friend J.C. Shelton of UGA Wire, got a SEC perspective from, from how this shakes out very early on. A week worth of news, we've got a little bit more idea of, of what's kind of happening behind the scenes and, and at least some guesses. But just leaving it at the USC and UCLA and not bringing other schools into it, where do you stand with it? Because I know a lot of people hate it. A lot of people like it. Where are you at with it? You know, I I think people having extremely strong opinions on this is kind of weird. Like, we don't really know how this is going to go. I'm not anti-strong opinions. That's probably 97% of my opinions are strong. This is where I'm kind of in the 3% just because I don't really know. And I don't think anybody can know exactly how this is going to go. This has not been fully fleshed out yet. We don't even know what we're talking about. I mean, they're talking about shaking up divisions, doing pods. So you're kind of jumping the gun. Like I'm sure these conversations have taken place among these institutions in terms of how this is going to be executed. I don't think they're just blindly going into this. And speaking of that, what an impressive fact that this was kept secret until like an hour before the announcement. It's just, that's astonishing when you consider the sheer number of people that would have had to have been involved. You're talking about at least one member in every institution that we're discussing the two additions and everyone that's an incumbent because they had to secure the fact that they would get the vote to begin with. So that's, I digress, but I, I just think there's too much passion around it when we don't really know what it's going to look like. I will say it's weird but not necessarily bad weird. And at the end of the day, if I have no other takeaway from this, then I have a great excuse to visit Los Angeles once a year, every other year to see Michigan state play. I'm all for it for that reason alone. It's weird. It's odd. I also think it was probably necessary for the big 10. If you want to keep up with the Joneses down South. 
I, I guess, uh, and I, I, compl- well, I, th- I look at it more as the Big Ten didn't really necessarily need to do it. U- USC had to. I mean, if you look at the revenues the Pac-12 has been bringing in, you look at what the ACC is bringing in and compared to the Big Ten and SEC, I mean, it's just, it doesn't compute. Um, we, when you look at USC coming in, certainly a lot of cachet. UCLA, I mean, we're, we're a long ways away from Cade McNown uh, dropping back to pass out there. USC, that's a big time brand. We were talking a little bit about the show. Let's get into it. I mean, is this is this the biggest piece on the board out there? I mean, what is their cachet nationally? I think USC is, you know, you could you can get into the where exactly they place. Are they fourth or seventh? But they're way up there among the most iconic brands in this sport. And this is a sport based on brands. We have seen really, really good Boise State teams, Cincinnati teams, whatever, that will not draw a fraction of what an eight and four Texas team will draw if they're on national television, a seven and five USC team, even like a nine and three USC team. So we've seen those you know, sort of the best version of the Lane Kiffin Trojans, the best version of the Clay Helton Trojans where they, you know, have one and a half good years. Those, that program just draws, man. They just draw. As long as they're not completely in shambles, they draw. And a big component of this, and you can, you can put UCLA in this too, frankly, you got to look at the coaches that you're adding, not just the program. You're adding Lincoln Riley and Chip Kelly, Chip Kelly is almost like the the forgotten soul. The guy ran the West with Oregon for what, four or five years was, was a dominant. I mean, they were up like 70 to three in the third quarter. Some of these games against like real teams and UCLA, they were slow out of the gate for him the first couple of years, but they went eight and four last year. Like they they were looking pretty feisty. His recruiting from my understanding has been picking up. So I'm not saying he's coming in as top three coach in the conference or anything, but he's not some dud. I just think they're two good brands. UCLA basketball with Cronin's already off the mat and coming back and they're just waiting to pop, you know, in terms of branding. I I just think that's what matters. This is about TV money. This is all about revenue. And I think we benefit because frankly, the revenue is tied to our interest. So obviously we like it more because that's why they're giving it to us. Well, isn't there a case to be made that yes, there is more revenue. Yes. It, you know, folks like me and you, we're, we're going to be in for Michigan State playing, I don't know, Sisters of the Poor, the Windsor uh, Physicians Club. <laughs> um, if they're not playing Michigan, they could be playing Michigan any given week, but we we would be in for that. But I, I know a lot of people that are out there that just look at it and go, man, I, I, I don't want to see, you know, Michigan go out and play UCLA and then play Rutgers. I, I want I want my rivalries. I want my Big Ten games. I want Purdue, Michigan, or Iowa Northwestern. I want those games. I don't want that. I want to be able to watch my Pac-12, and it's gone. And the ACC, for that matter, probably going down the well as well. Where do you see it playing out, and, and can you sympathize with that? Yeah, in particular, the rivalry point. I mean, I, I can do away with Purdue, no problem. I, I, I'm not like <laughs> that died in the wool Big Ten traditionalist that I got to preserve the Purdue game. I will say, 
And, you know, even like Iowa has had a good, you know, I wouldn't call them rivals technically, but have had a good rivalry with Michigan State the last, you know, what, 10, 15 years, multiple times, both teams, you know, nine plus wins, playing meaningful games. Uh, they've met as undefeated teams a couple of times. I, so I, like even them, I can deal away, you know, do away with them. I, I want to see the rivalries preserved on the top line. I want to see Michigan, Michigan State every year. I want to see Michigan, Ohio State every year. So that to me, like, can I sympathize? Yes, on that point. But in terms of missing or yearning for the days of seeing Michigan versus Purdue or Michigan versus Iowa, I, I, I get it. I mean, you like what you like. I don't care what anybody else likes. I mean, sure, you know, bummer. I'm sad that anybody's sad. But I just don't personally view that as that valuable. I, I but you got to keep the top line though. They're, like Valeni was saying the other day, uh, paraphrasing his take, but like, oh, you know, you might have to accept that you're not going to play Michigan every year, and Michigan, you might have to accept you're not playing Ohio State or Michigan State every year. Like, I don't want to accept that. So my opinion on this whole thing will change if that is part of this, but we don't know that yet. So that kind of remains to be seen. Hey, at the risk of. You know, obviously, like you've already stated, we we can't we don't know what the end product it is, so we you know it's hard to judge. But we can kind of guess how the pieces are going to fall. Notre Dame figures to be the big domino. I know there's rumored talks with the SEC exploratory that the Big Ten has made a very clear offer to them. It, it, for you, if Notre Dame does not end up in the Big Ten, does that alter how you feel about the expansion? Because, I mean, the white whale has always been Notre Dame for the Big Ten going back decades. Yeah, I mean, it, would, it wouldn't change my opinion. I would be – it would just be a lesser – change for the positive from the conference perspective. Like I I'm withholding judgment on how great this is until I kind of see how it's structured. I, I gun to my head. I, you know, we can agree to disagree on who needed who more or whatever. I think it's a mutually beneficial relationship with, you know, USC in the big 10 and UCLA in the big 10. But I, I think that Notre Dame, not, you know, whether it's remaining independent or going to the sec, I don't, that to me is not going to swing like whether this whole thing is a good idea or not. I don't think it hinges on that, but if you do get them in the spirit of we're trying to up our dollars, up our cachet, get the TV revenue, even up uh, higher than it's been, it's already way higher than the PAC 12 network. They're a home run. So it would definitely sort of soften the win if they fall off. And look, I'll say this, and I'm curious for your opinion to me, Notre Dame just feels like Big Ten. Now, USC doesn't feel like Big Ten at all, and they're in there. So I'm not saying that, like, is it the end-all, be-all? But, like, doesn't Notre Dame just feel like if it's between the SEC and the Big Ten? The difference is with USC, USC was in a dying conference. Like, they didn't have a natural fit to go to. The two conferences that are relevant going forward are on the other end of the country, both of them. But that's not the case with Notre Dame. Like, Notre Dame has proximity to one of the two thriving conferences I just I feel like they belong in the Big Ten yeah I mean geographically and and historically we can always point back to some of those things but you know Notre Dame's weird in that like if they're playing Duke or a service academy or Georgia Tech 
or Stanford. Like they just play a whole bunch of teams, right? In Miami. I mean, they have rivalries with teams across the country. So they're really, they are that, um, that unicorn out of the bunch, I feel like, but yes, geographically, I mean, that's why the big tens always wanted them. I just wonder, you know, is it best for them to join a conference? Is it best for them? Because if they go, then you can clearly kind of draw a line towards, you know, that sets all the rest of the dominoes in place. I mean, not that, you know, it's preventing it, but I think to some degree, you know, Notre Dame is holding on to that. (laughs) They are the last one at the door, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I definitely see like both sides of the Notre Dame thing. You could, if you're in the high school debate class, you can definitely, you know, make the SEC argument. I just think that, and you mentioned the geographical stuff, that's all relevant too. I, I just think that Notre Dame has been holding out for too long as this independent. I don't see the independent thing being viable at this level. They're never going to get left out. They're just too, they're too big of a moneymaker with ratings. So no matter, I mean, they do have leverage, but I just think it behooves even them to join one of the two. I mean, I honestly think staying independent is their third best out of the three options, but I get why, Ohio State feels this way and Notre Dame this the reason Notre Dame's not in the conference for or in any conference for those that don't know is their demands have been so high in terms of what piece of the pie they get so like the Big Ten for example and I think all if not most conferences do this but the Big Ten splits their media contract down the middle so like the Michigan State gets the same check as Rutgers gets the same check as Michigan gets the same check as Ohio State whereas Ohio State's generating what 50 times the revenue of Rutgers football. So like Notre Dame's position is basically we'll come to the conference, but we want a pro rata. We, we want our more than fair share of the cut of any media and conferences have been hesitant to budge on that. That is going to be what I'm fascinated to watch going forward, because once you've added USC and UCLA to the big 10, and we saw what the sec did with Oklahoma, Texas, you're officially eschewing tradition, uh, history, geographical considerations for money. Money is driving the day. Do you tell Rutgers, hey, sorry, we got to get that team from South Bend into this conference. Like you're, you're going to have to take a smaller check. I, I don't know. Like, I don't know what that and what. Quite honestly, and you know, this is a point that I, I heard Valenti make. I think Rutgers is one of the safest schools out there. I don't because Rutgers has that media market and has kept its accreditation. I I I look at Rutgers and Maryland for that for that fact because Maryland gets the DC. I get Big Ten Network over here, no problem, because I'm so close and I, I I'm in the coverage zone, right? They get D.C. They get Baltimore. If I'm Nebraska, I'm worried. They lost their accreditation as a tier one school and or research school. You haven't added anything to the conference. Really should have never joined the conference, should have stayed in the Big 12. If I'm Nebraska, I'm worried because would you rather have Boston College in the conference or Nebraska? You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, 
I, that's another way you could make an argument for either one. I, I just part of part of it's me showing my age. I just I grew up with Nebraska being like one of the three or four best programs in the country. And it was not like a fluke. It was like a 10 year period. And I mean, I'm sure longer than that, they have a nice history, but I still think Nebraska is kind of like a cool kind of wonky program. I, I don't know if you've ever been on that campus. Like their, their fans are the nicest fans I've ever seen. We went there. I, and my wife and I saw Michigan state get their asses handed to them and we were there for two hours before the game, the entire game, and an hour after. And we didn't have one person say one word to us at any point, even though they kicked our ass. And But they're extremely passionate. They have a good history. I just – I look, I admit, there's plenty of mud you can throw at Nebraska. I admit that I kind of have a soft spot in my heart for them. I just – I think – I. I Rutgers is never going to pop up to me. I mean, I, I guess they have a good coach, whatever. Rutgers is never going to have 60,000 people going crazy in the stands. I just don't, I don't see that happening. I, I would not let Nebraska walk out the door. I like Nebraska, but I admit I have a little bit of a, a affection for them, partially for standing in Michigan's way in 1997 from sole ownership of that title. But I just, I still think they're not, I'm sleeping giant, maybe a little bit generous, but sleeping above average height person, maybe I, I don't know. I like Nebraska. I, you know, we could go in depth about Nebraska's prospects. I, that's a, that's a wild conversation for a, another time. Um, but we got to get you out to a Rutgers game. I went, it, it, you're right. There's not going to be 60,000 in the stands, but man, you want to talk about some lunatics, some absolute mongos in the stands. I Did you went, attend the game? Did you? Yeah. Did you, yeah. Oh, I was there. Oh, they, were, it, they don't come across like that bad on TV. It just it sounded it, quiet. Well, you know, I was standing up and uh, I was in the Rutgers sideline Um because my buddies that got me the tickets are Rutgers fans. And when Naylor went from one sideline to the other, um, and I was standing on the, you know, trying to get everybody pumped up. Hey, can you all believe that? None of them tackled them. <laughs> Not great looks, but <laughs> great game to go to. One of oh, the yeah. great games. Um, shout out to the Rutgers crew. Bombs away. Rob, love you, boys. Uh, Okay, I want to transition though. While you know, because you're plugged in, you're a guy that knows people and friends with people. Spartan dog for life, some would say. Uh, what what is not and not necessarily Michigan State's solely their position, but how do you feel the Big Ten schools that are approaching this whole prospect of? you know, expansion and, and just in bringing in USC does, is it changing recruiting? Is it changing how they think about scheduling? Is it changing anything, anything that you can tell so far? Yeah. I can only speak to the Michigan state side. I haven't talked to anybody in yeah. any other big 10 school. Sure. They are excited about it. So for one, any game against USC, like Michigan state versus USC is going to be a big draw and that is something that you can sell to every recruit look like we got a game because you know these schedules come out years in advance we got a game on a friday night to open the season or whatever against usc 
in Southern California. Like that's, that's something you can sell to people before they even get there. And for the games that you're already playing, these kids are going to watch that game. And, you know, so that you're automatically in front of more eyeballs, like Michigan, more people will see Michigan state play football games than they would have before. So that's, that's their, I mean, this is what they're telling me. And I agree with them. I think it's a great point. So there's just more eyeballs on them. When you bring in these iconic brands, you're just, you're on TV more often and more people are watching you when you are on national TV. And secondary to that, just the footprint that you can establish to whatever extent you can in that hotbed California market. I mean, I don't think you're going to out-recruit USC in their own backyard. I don't care who it is, but you're going to get one or two kids you wouldn't have gotten before because those kids are going to watch Michigan State play when they wouldn't have otherwise. And you can tell them, hey, hey, mom, hey, dad, like we're going to be playing UCLA twice and USC twice in, you know, the four or five years that your kid's going to be with us. Like, so, you know, that's an appeal too. This is, again, what they're telling me. There's been nothing that I've heard negative from, I mean, really two people I had up there, I had an in-depth conversation with a, a third, just briefly via text, but it has been a hundred percent positive, at least from those people. It seems very uh, universally accepted as good result for the conference. Last question before we head to break, and then we have to bring up uh, a sad subject. Uh, I give you the full power. You are the new college football czar. You can't take any teams away. I'm not letting you take Rutgers away. Can't take any teams away from any conference. How do you want to see expansion go for how this shakes out? What do you want to see happen? Oh, it's just like how I want the conferences to land. Yeah. How you want the conferences to land. Do you want, you know, all the PAC 12 teams that don't make it to form a super mountain West conference. I mean, you get the pick you are the yeah. czar, you know, and it's funny because I've actually thought about this quite a bit and I keep hearing different arguments for different approaches and I get excited about one. And then I change my opinion when I hear the next pitch. So I can't say I feel very strongly about this, but if I'm making a couple things right away, you know, bullet points, I would say I want the SEC and the Big Ten to be the big boys, and I want the best of the rest piling into either one or two conferences, preferably one, but that may be a little bit optimistic. But I think the ideal scenario is you have three Titans and you just have at it because as big as the Big Ten is going to get in the SEC – you're still going to have enough viable, solid programs that you could put together at least one more good quote unquote super conference. I really want to see Notre Dame go to the big 10. I know Oregon has sort of put off joining anybody at this point. I, I, I they got to join one of the two at some point. I think that's where this is headed, but uh, you know, short answer. I want to see two major conferences that are already in place joined by a third with the best of the rest. And then, you know, there's a million possibilities from there that would be a three-hour podcast probably about, you know, how do you do the playoff, automatic bids, things of that nature. I'm just, I've still resisted this idea of having uh, an expanded playoff. I think we're already seeing every year at least one of the four that doesn't belong. So why are we inviting more people or more teams? But uh, that's kind of how I see this going in some way because we know the two super conferences are happening. Like that's not – that that's we're watching it before our eyes now – 
but there's too many good schools left to not be able to form a third. And what are you going to have two conferences with like 30 teams? I just, I don't see it. I keep, yeah. And that's the big problem for me is that it really feels like the big 12 is going to take what it wants from the pac 12 Sorry to the Wazoo fans. Sorry to Oregon State, our friends out in Corvallis. You may you may be playing San Jose State soon. Okay, that might be that might be your new rivalry, unfortunately. But I really feel like you'll see the Big Twelve, and then I, you know, the AAC. I, I mean, Syracuse would fit in there. Boston College would fit in there. Um. Virginia would fit in there like these cast off ACC schools. And I I could see like two big boys two uh, you know, the big 12 being a little bit bigger, the AC being a little bit smaller and the max still humming along, which is what we really care about. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I it's, you know, it's interesting because we're sort of conditioned and rightfully so to think of these, issues these matters these developments strictly in football terms but the ACC is a giant for college basketball we have my Tar Heels and Duke and you know there's uh, obviously well that's the that's the shitty part though Justin is it this is all football moves and it's always been football moves and for college basketball fans like ourselves uh, it's kind of screwy it's, I, I mean, I've even heard rumors that Kansas is about to join the Big 12 or Big East, excuse me, for basketball. Well, it's not screwy. It's, like, it's not screwy from a Machiavellian standpoint. It's actually very consistent with why this is happening in the first place. Everything is money based and college basketball, like at large, is not a big revenue generator. Now, the tournament is. But college football's entire season is a cash cow as opposed to the college basketball tournament, which honestly, like even in the final four, you're so dependent on the teams that are there. Like this year was massive because you had UNC eliminating Duke and you had obviously Kansas UNC in the final and, you know, Villanova was depressed, but still a good team with their injuries. I, I just, but those Butler final fours, for whatever you think of them, like nobody watched those like college football is just a bigger cash cow. And I look, I don't like, it's a bummer. I agree with you on that. Like that basketball is being basically not even considered in any of this, or it doesn't appear to be, but I wouldn't call it screwy. It's actually very consistent with why they're doing everything that they're doing. It's money is everything and they don't care about anything else at all. And you just kind of have to accept that it sucks, but it's not going to change. So I'm going to embrace the best version of this that I can. Well, that pretty much actually sums it up pretty good. During the break, me and Justin are going to break down Rocky Lombardi and then Northern Illinois Huskies on the other side of that. We're going to talk a little Motor City Kitties and what a horrible rebuild looks like uh, for a sports franchise, hopefully near you right after this. Hello, everyone. This is Chris Van Dyne from North Coast Sports. You'll hear me here every week during football season with my main man, Stu, from the StuCast. And just want to let everyone know we got a lot going on at North Coast. we got Power Sweep coming up. Going to be releasing that at the end of August. 
and get on board for Power Sweep at ncsports.com. Definitely check out our podcast on ncsports.com. And like I said, you'll hear me every week giving out some of the best handicapping picks that you will get in the industry uh, with Stu and Bobcat every week here, as well as at North Coast Sports, ncsports.com. And we're looking forward to football season. all right back with my friend justin spiro you can catch him at darko state news on the twitter google machine hit him up it's a great follow and coming soon but you can still subscribe catch old episodes spiro avenue podcast uh it's out there wherever you're listening to this it's on there and also the youtube series which i recommend because i like watching the videos uh, that's coming back. And when you watch those shows, I recommend going to watch Tony Paul, your conversations with him. Um, phenomenal Tigers beat writer. And you can go back and watch the shows you guys did uh, in the off season last year, towards the end of the, the season last year. A lot of hope, a lot of excitement, a lot of, hey, we got, we got money to spend. Chris Illich says he's going to spend the money. Rebuilds happening. We've got the young guns coming up. Fast forward to July 6th as we record this. Even after a four-game sweep of the Indians, uh, this season has been an unmitigated disaster on so many fronts. Where where do we even start? Because I, it feels like the rebuild had to... We, we had to blow the cartridge like we did when we were setting this uh, this meeting up, blow the cartridge, restart it a couple times. Hey, Justin, what the hell is going on in Detroit? Well, as you bring me on today, the conversation needs to be a little different than it would have been even a few days ago. Not because I've changed my opinion about anything, because I haven't. If anything, I feel more vindicated than ever. But other people's perceptions have changed. By my count, this is at least the third time that the fan base has gotten all excited. The team looked better and won three or four games in a row, in this case, four and counting. And all of a sudden you get all the positivity. And here's what my position is. Okay, there is a fan graphs percentage of a chance to make the playoffs calculator that runs from spring training before the first real pitch is thrown to the end of the year, last day of the regular season. They hit at an incredible accuracy at this point in the year. If they have somebody as a very small chance or a very good chance, obviously if they're 50, 50, there's, there's no way to win. The Tigers have less than one-tenth of 1% one of a chance to make the playoffs. And what I said in numerous conversations with our friend, Chris Castellani of Barstool, who, uh, whom I love, and is a great guy, and to me, the best guy in the Tiger space, better than Phenomenal. me. Phenomenal. He's the best. But I told him repeatedly two months ago, again a month ago, and again for the third time about seven, eight days ago, this is going to happen. Watch out for it. And here we are. Watch out for the Detroit Tigers warming up, having a good stretch where my exact stat was they're going to go nine and three. Or, or 10 and, and four 
or something like that for half a month, maybe even a whole month. I even said they might have a month where they go 20 and, and eight and, and have the best record in baseball for that month. And everybody's going to start slopping it up and, and eating up this nonsense. And to some extent, if not total extent, absolving this organization and its leadership of everything that happened before it. And I come back to that fan grass percentage. You are at a fraction, one-tenth of 1%, not to win the World Series, to even make a playoff that, by the way, has been expanded. In year seven of a rebuild, you have, before you even get to the midway point of the year, less than one-tenth of 1% chance of making a field that has been expanded to deliberately make it easier for you to be relevant and have a higher percentage than one-tenth of 1% at this point in the year. The whole point of them doing that was to let pathetic organizations like the Tigers feel like they might have a shot to get in a little bit longer, even if it were at 10% or 15% at this point. You can't even get to 1% playoff probability in that scenario. The damage was done this year already. And they could be, I mean, they're at a point now where, and this isn't going to happen, but they could have going forward the fourth or fifth best record in all of baseball and still not make the playoffs. That's a fact. Now, if they have the best record in baseball, they probably would make it, but I'm not going to count on that. But they're so far behind. And I, I told Chris this was going to happen. And, I, and it hasn't even fully happened yet. We're only talking about four games. But look at the fan response. Everyone is goo goo gaga over Miguel Cabrera right now. Look, I love Miguel Cabrera. I am grateful for everything he did. I don't begrudge him for signing that contract. He would have been insane not to. Everybody would have. I think he's trying hard. I think he does care. This is not a criticism of him at all. He ain't that good anymore. He hits, he hits singles. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not about that. I don't care. Yeah. Like, for, for the money in the DH, like – a seven, he, he's right now as we speak, obviously it changes day to day. He's at a 719 OPS, a 39 year old DH that can't play the field that is slow, that doesn't hit for anything other than singles and, and takes a couple of walks here and there still. Like that, that's a disaster. So, like objectively, if you want to do the adjustment for Cabrera in the situation, then it's just okay. You have these Tigers fans saying that he's having Wojo, Bob Wojanowski came out and said he's having a quote, terrific season we're just this is what i'm talking about if we can't deal in reality here we deserve what we get as a fan base and i'm not going to get into the lines but it's the same thing like (laughs) this tigers team has pooped in our mouths for months for seven years frankly and we're going to take it because cabrera has a 720 ops and has a bunch of singles and we won a few games it's just, it drives me nuts. And I think these people are complicit in this state of affairs, frankly. I heard Valeni, uh, our patron saint of uh, sports, sports <laughs> yeah. talk, period. Uh, I heard him make a great case probably like a month ago. And I'm sure you heard it too. And that was that last year was a mirage because MLB allegedly, um, was doctoring the balls. You had a lot of funky stuff happen last year. You see a kill have a breakout year. All these guys have breakout seasons. And then you don't have doctored balls. 
and you walk into this season and all those guys are in slumps, struggle to hit. You give a contract to a Javi Baez who probably doesn't deserve what he's making. You make, you make a trade with the devil in Tampa Bay and you make bad signings. You trust a GM that doesn't know what he's doing. And it all leads to a really bad position where the Tigers, you know, not, now we're playing for draft pick position next year. That's essentially what it feels like we're back at. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I agree. Cause if you're not going to make the playoffs, who cares? Like the, the whole notion of like, Oh, like it'll be helpful if they have a hot second half. Well, it didn't help this year because we had a winning record every month until the very end last year, what three or four straight winning months after that horrifyingly bad April, like a lot of good that did us. What, what good did that do us this year? Like the whole carryover thing, like I get it in theory, but how many times do we have to see that not matter in sports to, to, to like the only time that really matters is if like you have a young quarterback, you don't know if he's the guy yet. And then it's like, Oh shit, he went six and one down the stretch and looked great. Like then you, you do kind of feel good about yourself. That's the only exception. I think like this doesn't matter. What you're going to do is you had so many guys underachieving and whether you buy the Valenti thing or not, like I, I said this with Castellani, like Candle, and he actually disagreed with me on this. I said, Candelario is not going to be this bad. Javier Baez is not going to be this bad. Like these guys are not this bad. They weren't as good as they were last year, particularly Robbie Grossman, but is a whole other thing, but like, they're not this bad either. So they're going to be better. And the Tigers as a result will win more games. But it is fool's gold, my friend, because when you're in year seven of a rebuild and this is what you're hanging your hat on, we were frisky in the second half. That's like a year three at best mentality. Like, oh, we were frisky towards the end. Like, what does that do for anybody in year seven? But apparently I'm talking to a wall because a lot of people I'm getting yelled at right now because people are on their high horse about four straight wins over a a average at best Cleveland team. I, I just... I get more mad at the fans sometimes than I do the team. I mean, it's close, but I just, I'm so frustrated with this whole thing. I saw it coming. I said to everyone, watch out. They're going to get hot for a month and you guys are going to eat it up. And I, Chris, Oh no, no, I, I, I don't buy that. This about, you know, it's like fans know what's going on. Tony Paul. Oh no. Like I think people know what, what's up. No, they really don't. I mean, some do, but more than half are going to, get the Vaseline out if this team is above 500 in the second half. Why? Like, shouldn't we have graduated from that by now? I, I think other people in, in cities outside Detroit don't understand truly how horrific Alavila is at, at being a GM. And, I, I mean, you look at the moves he's made. Uh, this is a longer-term question. It, is is the rebuild or are we back to square one do you feel like because it, it, i look at the minor league system the guys are up and the guys that aren't up are on the il again tommy john or god only knows there doesn't really seem to be like pieces down in the minors whereas you, you look at a, a organization like baltimore which has struggled for years and it's been very long, but you like, I'm, I'm watching Baltimore Oriole games every night and you look at 
how they've built their organization, their draft picks, they got kids for days. I mean, they've got oodles of talent in the minors. One of the top three minor systems probably in baseball. And they got plenty of pieces to trade, plenty of money to sign free agents with, plenty of young talent. It really feels like they, they're they so far ahead of us, and that is so disconcerting, especially since it shouldn't be like that. Yeah, I mean, it, it's you could certainly make the like back-to-square-one argument. I mean, at best, they're on square two. I mean, it, it, they're nowhere near where they should be. I think anyone with a brain can see that. You know, it's if you look at, like, just prospects, young guys, whatever, they are in better shape than they were seven years ago, but at the same time, they don't have multiple Hall of Famers on their roster to offload to replenish the system. So it's like, would you rather have a couple of high upside guys, Riley Green looks like the real deal, or would you rather have four or five guys to liquidate? Well, if Al Vila is doing the training, you, you would rather take the the young guys with a pulse in <laughs> hand because he's not going to convert them to anything. But yeah, I, I, you can make the argument that they're essentially at square one, but whether you want to say they're at square one or just a little bit beyond that, no matter what, you're talking about them being like five years behind schedule. And that is assuming they fire Avila right now and make the change to somebody with a brain. And that's, that's what you have to do just to get off that square one or two, wherever you want to place them until and unless they make that move and not just fire Avila, but replace them with the right person then they're going to be doing a tap dance with their left foot on square one and their right foot on square two indefinitely. So I I just, it's bad enough as it is, but every single day that they do not make a change up top is one more day that this thing cannot get on the right track. And that's why I think there's a lot of frustration, even among Tiger Slappies saying, okay, like maybe the team is fine and they love AJ Hinch or whatever, but like, even they say Alvila has got to go for the most part. I, I just think, it's insane that he's still here. There is no reason in the world that he should do it. People say, oh, he makes too much, you know, money. He's he's the lowest paid GM in baseball. He's one of the, the bottom three. I, I just, it, it's a rounding error to hire somebody cheap. I'm not saying go get Theo Epstein. I mean, it'd be fun, but like replace him with anybody. What more do you need to see? It's just, it's so disheartening and it will never get on track unless he's gone. It's just, a, it's just a fact at this point. Get Brad Pitt in there. That would be great. He play, he played chances. Billy. Yeah, I'm a, get Jonah Hill. He he'll, yeah, he'll watch yeah. tape. I'm fine with whatever. I mean, just anything at this point. Like we know what's not going to work. So you know, maybe you get a figurehead, and you know, AJ Hinch effectively runs it if he's not already gone. So I don't know. I what we know is that this isn't going to work. This isn't like you know. I've been a staunch defender of Dave Dombrowski forever. I think he's sort of forgotten in terms of how good he was. You know, for all the, oh, he just bought his way or whatever, like the payroll, all that shit. He was, he completely turned that organization around before the payroll got up. The payroll was ramped up post 2006 when Dombrowski already stole Carlos Guillen, stole Placido Blanco, stole Kenny Rogers. Like, it, it, it just, he built that team. The, the Pudge Rodriguez signing. Criticized, too old, back issue. The Maglio Ordonia signing, he didn't even play last year. He had 28 at-bats. How are you going to commit all this money? Home run signing. Like, Dombrowski made eight or nine brilliant moves before the payroll got into the top half of the league. So I don't want to hear that. 
I just don't want to hear it. Like it can work here. You don't even have to have a top five payroll. Dombrowski not only had them in the world series with a average to below average payroll, he had them as the prohibitive favorite. And you could argue if they didn't beat up on Oakland in the prior series and have to sit around twiddling their thumbs for eight days, they probably would have won. So I, I just, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear any excuses or, or reasons why Dombrowski worked and Avila's not. I just don't want to hear it. You said something interesting, and I want to end the show on this when we were first talking about the the Tigres. Uh, you, you mentioned that you, you kind of called your shot with them and the Lions. I'm, I'm curious about that statement. I'm curious about, you know, you know, are you, are we, are you, not pumped up to bite kneecaps it <laughs> well, I, is I, Aiden Hutchinson is clearly, I mean, he's the next coming of JJ uh, Watt, right. You know, uh, clearly. Yeah. I mean, my position on the lines, I, you know, the point I was making earlier was the fan base. It does not matter how many crap sandwiches they're served. They're going to be right back in the buffet line the next year, sometimes even the next week. So that's, that was kind of the comparison I was making. But as far as the Lions big picture, you know, when I, I had Nick Baumgartner on my show from the athletic, he actually has just been promoted to a national role there, but he had been and has been the Lions writer for the athletic for some time. And here's what I put, to, how I put it to him. I will be by many people mischaracterized just like I have been with Miguel Cabrera with the Lions. I said, and it's on tape. It's chuckable. I think Dan Campbell has a good chance to win some games and be sort of the fiery version of Jim Caldwell, where if you get buy-in in the NFL, you get a player's coach that the guys really like, you're already better than half the league in terms of how you're set up to go into the season. If you combine that with a competent GM, which I believe Brad Holmes is, I mean, still early, but he appears competent. That is good enough to go 10 and seven. That's good enough maybe to go 11 and six. I wouldn't, I, I don't think Campbell's ever going to win 11 games, but I, I'm not going to be shocked. In fact, I predicted that he probably would win nine or 10 games at some point, you know, I, this year, maybe a year early, but by year three, I just think if you get to that point, you're in the playoffs, probably on the road because Detroit doesn't know what hosting a playoff football game looks like is Dan Campbell going to go like on the road and beat somebody good in the playoffs? I just don't, I just don't buy it. I just don't buy it. I think there's a hard ceiling on this organization with him as coach. And I just, I, I I'm not a believer. I, so my, you, my you, big you, question, Justin is, and it's the question I, I know you've had, who's going to be the quarterback? Cause Jared Goff, you, I mean, you could put you know, Jerry Rice out there, and Jamison Williams, whatever, it, it it's not going to work. Like we we've seen it, it's just not going to work with Jared Goff. <laughs> for for all the mean stuff I've said about certain people and figures in town, I have openly said I'm the worst person that talked to about Jared Goff because I have an almost inexplicable soft spot in my heart. I feel more sorry for him, or as sorry for him as you can feel sorry for anybody that is engaged to like one of the 15 hottest women alive and is making $36 million a year. Like it's a tough life, man. That's that aside, like someone with those two good things going for him. 
you know, people in that rare category, I feel more sorry for him than anybody else approaching that category. Like I just, I, he's a great guy. What he did in LA, or what I should say what they did to him in LA. I really didn't like it. I obviously, if you want to throw him out the door, that's fine. That's your prerogative. It certainly worked. I agree. Obviously Stafford's a better quarterback, but the way they handled it, it's just, they were McVeigh was a dick in the media publicly humiliated his guy who had been there for him. And I said, I'm rooting like hell for Jared Goff. I'm not saying I buy him, but I just, you're not going to get a great, like fiery anti-Goff take out of me. I admit I'm biased. I just, I have a soft spot in my heart for him. I think like, as far as this year, he's obviously, we all know he's the quarterback. It's going to determine, uh, it's going to be determined by how, this year goes. I mean, if they fall flat on their face and they're picking top five, they're sitting and taking a quarterback all day. And if they have to move up a spot or two, they'll have the capital to do so. I, I, I just think this will be a team that uh, whose record will determine the next quarterback. If golf has them even near 500, they're not going to be picking way up there. They're probably not going to have enough ammunition to get up there. Cause there's going to be too many teams in front of you that also need quarterbacks. So I don't know. I, I the short answer is, if they are even decent this year, I think Goff is here indefinitely. And if they're five wins or less, I think he's gone. I think it's going to be determined by that even more so than how he plays. Cause I, I don't think he's going to play great or bad. I, he looked a lot better at the end of the year last year. Here I am getting into defending Goff cause I like him, but I, I just, I think we don't know. It's going to, it's going to depend how the season goes and they have enough talent where if they win the turnover margin in one of those coin flip games or two of those coin flip games, and they have a relatively healthy season. Obviously, everyone has injuries, but relative to other teams, I couldn't you see them going nine and eight? Like they're not gonna get rid of golf if they go nine and eight and they're picking what like 16th in the draft. I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm crazy. I just I think they're gonna be good enough that he's gonna be back. I think he's gonna be here for a couple of years. I could be nuts. I, I will say that. He is, at the very least, the only quarterback in the NFL that played college football at Cal that isn't dating a witch, allegedly. So that's a positive in his camp. Yeah, there you um, go. Justin, where can the good people find you once again? Uh, and when is the show coming back? People are hitting you up. When is it back? Uh, hopefully, hopefully by the end of the summer, for sure. I, you know, it was supposed to be May and then it was supposed to be June and it was supposed to be July. And here we are in July and we're not back, but I would say sometime in August, it's looking very, very good. Uh, obviously Darko state news on Twitter and our YouTube page. We're still actually making content. It's just not the same show and format. So we, it's not like we've been totally dark, but, uh, yeah, definitely check us out. Spiro Avenue, uh, wherever you listen to podcasts, uh, we're there and hope to have you. Justin, always, always a pleasure talking with you. Go get some uh, rest. I know you got uh, you're burning and turning early tomorrow. So thank you once again for coming on, folks. We'll be back next week. We got Matt Bernier coming on, former Syracuse tight end Aaron Hackett. He's coming on. We're talking a little nil. It got a lot of stuff planned for you, folks. Until next time, we'll see you after a while.